This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I've got Carla Fowler with me. Carla, how you doing? I am doing very well, Brett. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's great to be with you. I don't, I don't get to talk to too many people that are an MD and a PhD very often. So we'll, uh, we're going to have some fun <laughs> talking about that and get to hear your story. So, but again, uh, well, now awesome. where are you coming from again? I forgot to ask you, what part of the country are you in right now? That's okay. I am calling in from Bend, Oregon currently. Um, Bend, you know, Oregon. part yeah, part of life. Um, I actually, my coaching practice is totally virtual, so we move around a, a, a fair amount. Um, but currently, we are in um, the mountains of Oregon, and it's beautiful. Awesome. We'll have to introduce you to my buddy, Greg Salsaccioli out there. Do you know Greg by chance? I don't. Okay. He great. does some uh, coaching out there. He's an awesome guy. I've worked with him for years, and I'll uh, have to introduce you to. So anyway, um, let's dive into Carla Fowler and what's made you the woman you are today. I know, um, you know, looking at the research I've done here, you, uh, like I said, an MD, a PhD, and now an elite executive coach, uh, for the last basically 10 years, you've been, uh, what they call the secret weapon, right? To CEOs, entrepreneurs, and other <laughs> senior leaders. And, uh, so let's dive into that. But before we do kind of, you could Carla, what's made you the woman you are today? I, I love that question. And the story always comes out a little bit different, but I think that's one of the fun things is that in our lives, we get to like constantly think about what our story is. And clearly like there was one point in my life where the story was, I was going to be like a, an academic physician. Um, and you know, the story today is, um, you know, I am a, a coach thinking about and studying about and helping people use performance science. So, um, where did it start? Um, you know, I, I think early life grew up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and really, uh, I, I just have to say my parents, uh, were amazing. They took us backpacking. And when I'm talking about backpacking, I mean, like, you know, out in the wilderness for like 10 days. Oh, and there yeah. were three of us and they would take us out. And there were three of us at one point, all but like younger than the age of seven. Ooh. So like one kid's in a pack, the other two kids have to be walking because there's only room for one kid in the pack. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but I'm telling this story because I think that very early in life, um, uh, there were just some situations you encounter where you realize that you cannot bully reality. <laughs> so, mm. um, turns out if you're five and you don't want to be hiking anymore, but you are three days into the wilderness, you know, your parents can't save you. They will tell you to keep walking. They might also like slowly start to walk down the trail without you to make That's sure right. that you come along. Um, and, uh, but I, 
I bring it up because I think I just had some experiences early on where uh, it, it kind of has you realize that like you are your own best lifeboat. And so like, yeah, things happen sometimes. You don't like the way they turn out, but um, really when you realize that with your own two feet, you can make progress, you can work, work through it. Um, I think that's a really empowering sort of starting place. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that's what I was thinking when I was five, <laughs> but <laughs> I have come to see it that way. I'm going to realize that. Yeah, right. Um, but I think, you know, growing up, I was always pretty interested in like um, some of the, the physical activities. I had this amazing teacher who, um, she was a physical outdoor teacher, but she thought we were kind of, I think, getting soft. And so her whole um, premise and curriculum was around making us do really challenging stuff. So um, I'll give an example. Um, she had us walk around Lake Washington, large lake in the Seattle area, uh, and it's 55 miles, and we did it in 24 hours. And this was a bunch of like 10 and 11-year-olds. Um, like we just kept walking and we walked from like 4 a.m. to like 4 a.m. the next morning. Wow. And, um, and you had to do it. Like everyone had to finish. You had to encourage each other. You had to just like find a way to like get that grit and, and really build it. Um, so these were kind of some of the experiences that I had when I was young that I think definitely influenced kind of the whole path along the way. Um, and there are certainly moments when, you know, at hour 23 of being awake in like a surgical residency where there was, and you've been on your feet the whole time where you start to think, well, yeah, this is kind of like that time when <laughs> we walked for 24 hours straight. Um, and so, so this was kind of like early life, um, in my family, in my growing up. And, um, you know, I, I ended up in medicine, the path kind of headed that way because, um, I always liked math and science. I really liked the idea that you could solve things. And I think for me, like that was a manifestation of that, like, okay, there is a solution and you can ask questions, you can figure it out. Um, and so I, uh, headed off to college and I, I thought I would do engineering and, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that I picked that. I, I think I saw it as like, well, there aren't a lot of women uh, engineers or there are less. And so maybe that will be helpful in getting into college, you know, and in, in getting yeah. into the program. I suspect it was, um, but I rapidly realized that, uh, you know, um, I was more interested in people uh, and what was going on with people, everyone around me, than I was in like circuits or, building a bridge or doing some of that more um, kind of engineering work. And so um, I uh, switched majors to focus on medicine. And it was really funny. And this, I think, was when I, I, I sort of put my finger on something else that often had been happening in my life, which was, so I wanted to switch majors, walked in to the, the dean of like pre-med uh, folks. And <laughs> I said, okay. Uh, you know, no one in my family is a doctor. I, I would like to go into medicine. Um, how do I do that? <laughs> and uh, yeah, exactly. And, and he sort of looks at my transcript and he's like, this is after one year of college. And he's like, okay, so you've taken two semesters of physics, two semesters of inorganic chemistry and two semesters of math and, you know, two semesters of whatever were the only other classes. Cause you took four each semester. And he's like, you did that all in one year. And I was like, 
yeah, that's like a normal, you know, engineer schedule. <laughs> and <laughs> he was like, well, you're, you're halfway done with the requirements <laughs> for oh, nice. medicine. Um, but I bring that up because, um, I think often I didn't always have total clarity about where I was going, but something that I sort of, I think an instinct I was following was this idea that if you can learn how to do things that are difficult, like if you see something difficult and it kind of scares you and you like lean into that and just say, okay, well, I'm just, I'm just going to go learn how to do that. So I'm not afraid of it anymore. Um, even if you don't end up going in that direction, that kind of like know-how being a person who knows how to take something that's challenging and, um, somehow muddle your way through it, get through it, um, can be a really useful sort of life skill. And it often means even when you transition, even if there's some change costs to that, um, that you can make some of those leaps. And so, um, I think that was the case for me in making that transition. Um, but so fast forward, uh, you know, I'm starting to near the end of college. I'm thinking about applying to medical school. Um, I've also like taken an interest in immunology because, um, I took a class and I thought, wow, this is really going to be the future. So I don't know, like how familiar you are with like all the biotech stuff that's going on around like cancer immunotherapy oh, and yeah. just, yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think well, here in St. Louis, there's is, a huge, uh, there's a huge yeah. uh, landscape of people in that, in that space. Uh, so yeah, so I'm not I'm an expert by any means, but I'm familiar with it. Um, well, so think back in like 1996, uh, or sorry, let's see, I guess it would have been, no, it was like probably 99. Um, like, so I'm taking this immunology class and I'm just thinking to myself, oh my goodness, like, I don't know how this is all going to shape up, but like the number of like diagnostics, therapeutics, and yeah. like, um, things that are going to come out of this particular, like biology is going to be big. And I think I should probably be involved with that somehow. Um, and so, um, so fast forward, I was kind of interested in research, interested in medicine. Someone, a friend walks up and says, Carla, did you know there are these programs where they pay you and you can get an MD and a PhD? So it'll take you 10 years, but like, you'll have no debt and uh, you can do this. And of course I heard that and I was like, you have to be kidding. That sounds like the best deal ever. <laughs> like guaranteed job, you have a yeah. job and, and you get to like work on these challenging things that to me, I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. Of course, this friend was like, I think it sounds terrible. So they did not end up doing that deal. They went to med school, uh, med school and, and, um, I'm sure are very successful now. <laughs> yeah. so, so you did that. And yeah. so obviously you graduated then. So 10 years later, so I know you went to Brown university and you got your uh, PhD at the university of Washington and then got your uh, general study or general surgery at Stanford. So you've been to some amazing universities. So you spend that much time, energy, money, yeah. right? I, I would assume, you know, I, for me, it was a head scratcher when we talked about being on the podcast. So here's an MD and a PhD, but now is the managing director and a, and a founder of a company that's doing elite executive coaching. How do you change from that? I'm all in, right? I got these unbelievable degrees to now I'm an executive coach uh, helping people all over the world. Uh, that, and that transition is really one of the big pivots, I would say of my life. Um, you know, in terms of like headed, as you said, headed through medical school and, and PhD, 
I credit um, those activities to really think, teaching me how to think. And I think particularly how to think about um, unstructured uh, problems, um, how to think outside a system. So academics, like some people had a terrible experience with them. I had a very good experience with them, but they do. And so for me, they provided sort of some train tracks, right? Yep. Like you kind of know what's expected. You do the test and that. And I think most of us know that actually a lot of life is really different from being outside of school. And so um, I think doing a PhD in science, one of the real parallels between that, I think, and moving out kind of into the business world where I'm working with executives was this idea of how do you think about an unstructured problem where there is a ton of uncertainty, um, you're going to have to figure it all out. Um, no one's, there isn't a playbook to do your PhD. You have to pick a scientific problem that no one has really sort of sorted out. Um, not only that, but you, you sort of have to think about not just pick a problem, but you need to pick an interesting and important problem, ideally. Yeah. And I think the same is very true. Like there are so many parallels between, for example, entrepreneurship and science. And so even though I know these things sound really different, for me, there actually have been a ton of parallels in the kind of thinking that's necessary, the kind of mindsets and um, actions that are necessary, the kinds of things that even help you be successful. Um, there's actually a ton of parallels. I obviously didn't know that at the time when I was doing my PhD, but I did know that you know I had an advisor who I walked in and I was like, well, I think I could run this experiment and I could run this experiment. And he was like, Carla, why are you, why, why are you going to do that? Um, mm. You know, and also you should try to not just take someone else's work and say, well, I could kind of clean up this part of it, or I could do a little bit of this over here. He's like, what's the thing that you want to do? That's going to be your own big contribution. And I think you can see parallels of this everywhere. Like everyone's seen the business out there or the thing where they're like, well, I could do that just a little better. And so I'm going to start a company to do that thing just a little better. Generally speaking, that's not, that's not a great strategy in the sense of if there's a huge vacuum, you could be successful, but um, I find that it's often a better way to think of it to say, what is it that I want to start? What is it about? Um, you know, what's going to be most important and how can I generate those results? Um, this, like, this comes up actually you know, as you're thinking, and as I'm working with executives also, um, sometimes we all just get inundated, inundated with like all the, all the things we could improve, um, both maybe in the results we're producing, but also maybe even in ourselves, our own development. Mm. And, um, I think it can actually be a huge sort of distraction, uh, like, because it feels like so much and our attention is pulled in like all these different directions. Yeah. And so um, I think one of the big things, again, that I learned over the course of my PhD, but that also plays very heavily into the coaching that I do today with executives is, can you figure out what results really matter um, that are going to be most important? And it's going to feel brutal. I actually call it brutal focus because it's going to feel so stark, right? Um, and it's a very different way of thinking than, okay, got all my long laundry list of things here and I'm trying to keep up and, and kind of do it all. Um, so it's, it's a different kind of thinking, but um, it is something that can really unlock results in a way for a person who's already performing at a very high level. 
it can be something that really kind of unlocks and clarifies some things um, to bring them to the next level. Yeah. Okay, and I so realized that- I did. I totally haven't answered your question yet <laughs> about about the jump, but that's all right. We're hopping yeah, no, in. Go ahead, and you can continue with that. That's what I was going to ask. So then the the jump was uh, there was this defining moment. You were actually practicing, yep. right? As as a as a physician, is that correct? So I was in residency, um, yeah. which you are. You are officially an MD. You have a license. Um, I was in my intern year. Um, so if everyone remembers Grey's Anatomy, <laughs> that that show. When everyone shows up, they were interns as um, general surgery interns. Yep. Um, it's nothing like that in reality. That's my disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> um, except for like being up all night. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, um, so I show up and, um, you know, part of the reason I chose surgery was again, uh, this thought of like, what is it I'm going to learn there? What, who are the people I want to learn from? And one of the things I really liked about surgeons were that um, when I looked at them as a group and the way that type of medicine is practiced, you really have to um, see your choices because the choice is very binary. It's often like, we're going to operate or we're not going to operate. Right. And um, to not operate is as much a choice as to operate. And um, so what I saw in that group of people was that uh, they really had to see that choice they had to own whatever choice they made. And they often had to make that choice with not a complete set of data, which again is very parallel, I think, to the situation that many executives are in where they're leading, they have to make a decision. You don't have perfect data. And there's probably even uh, beyond the data you have, there's a ton of uncertainty. Right. So, like, so the surgeons were one of these places where the stakes are high, you have to make a choice and, um, and then you got to own that choice. And then what there is to do is improve that choice over time. But I kind of, I looked at that and I was like, I think that's really interesting. I also liked that there was a physical art to it. Cause again, I was a person who really liked the, just the play between the mental and the physical, um, in terms of performance. And so, um, went off to surgery and I will say this during that year, um, I learned a lot about, well, I learned a lot of surgery. And I also <laughs> learned very much that uh, I think the biggest passion area for me, more than actually operating, like actually being a surgeon, really came back to thinking about performance and people. Because I'm surrounded by these really smart, um, high performing people. It was the same when I was, you know, uh, doing my PhD. Um, it's been the same on some of the sports teams that I've pers- participated in uh, for college and also uh, post college. And it's this moment where I was like, I think I've reached the point where to be good at this, it's going to take everything. It will be my one thing. And I think uh-huh. I've always been a person who wanted more than one thing. And so, um, and with that, when I thought, well, if you weren't this, what would you do? And I thought, oh, you know, the connecting thread through this entire story is that I have been interested in, you could even say sort of obsessed with thinking about how people do their best work. How do they reach their potential? How do they do it in a way that they thrive? Um, You know, I think there's a lot of high performance in surgery. I'm not sure that in medicine in general, people are thriving yet. And that is kind of a whole system of things. Sure. Um, 
you know, I just feel thankful every day that they're there. You know, if you show up in the middle of the night and you need a, a, your appendix out, there's someone there to do that for you. Yeah. And so, um, major, major thanks for that. Yeah. Um, so I think I realized that I needed to make a big pivot and that what I really loved even more than like surgery specifically or medicine specifically was thinking about behaviorally about performance. And so this is one of those moments where you jump, jump off. It's not necessarily a popular decision. Everyone is like, what are you doing? Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and, um, but you kind of can see something and you have a vision for something. And so it was kind of my first independent besides the PhD, it was like, okay, well, this is now my independent, like project and challenge that I need to structure for myself. I, I wanted to design my practice. So I wanted to not just, um, not just attend a coaching Academy or a certificate program and open a shingle, like put up a shingle. Yep. I actually wanted to use kind of my science background to say, how do I want to build this? What would really help, um, high level people who are an executives who are, um, dealing with a lot of the same things I actually encountered through my kind of academic and medical pathway, um, but really help them level up um, and uh, be able to reach ambitious goals that they were setting for themselves um, without like wringing themselves out in the process. So that's how that pivot uh, happened. And we talked a little bit about the parallels along the way, um, but it was still it was still a big, pretty big jump. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It is. Anytime you invest that much time and energy into something and then just to totally change it. And to your point too, like people probably thought you were crazy. Like what in the hell are you doing? You could, you could make good money, be a doctor, make a big impact, but yeah, you got to follow your dreams and go do the things that we want to do, which is what I love to talk about, which is what we're going to dive into now. And so well, so I've had a business coach for years and um, yeah. I, I truly believe in them. I think it's, it's, it's a massive investment that people need to make in themselves because uh, you need a sounding board, right? I, I mean, I have my mm -hmm. black journal everywhere I go with me. All my coaching meetings are in these over the years. Awesome. And I just think it's, it's time for us as leaders and, and people, whether you're leading companies or leading just your household or leading yourself, we got to make that investment. So I just want to make that disclaimer that I, that I fully believe in that. But yeah. what do you see are the biggest tools? Like, you know, there are there three or four or five tools that you use to help people achieve what you'll see in the back of our microphone here. And we'll talk about as a future grade than your past um, yeah. that you can do with that. Mm -hmm. You know, th there are, and I think there's some different ways to think about tools. Like sometimes tools are a hack and I, I do have some of those, but I think some of the biggest benefits that come from coaching, and this is how I, I coach is really um, working on some of those fundamentals or first principles that then sometimes eliminate the need for a hack, eliminate the, uh, a problem altogether. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's the first thing is sort of how I, how I view things is, can you set up a foundation with someone for their goal that they want to achieve um, and what's going to be most important for that, that really then helps us say, okay, well, if we can see that very clearly, then we're in a position to say, what's really a problem and what's not a problem, right? right? What's a fire you can let burn? What's mess you can tolerate? Um, and, and I bring up, you probably hear me using a lot of language about time. And a big piece of that is because I think many, well, many executives and many people of all sorts, I think 
feel like life is busy. Maybe they want something. There's not enough time to get it. Um, and I think this is just a common refrain. And then I think we also have a culture that's um, continually uh, giving us inputs to say, well, oh, I should do more. I should be doing that. I should be doing that. And this is true at the executive level, um, as well as just kind of for everybody out there. Um, so I would say there are three lenses that I really use um, to kind of look through and, and they're sort of topics of conversation that I use with my clients. Um, and again, they can scale like uh, up and down the stack in terms of uh, for a situation, what's happening in this moment, this situation, but all the way to how does this impact your whole strategy, how you're thinking about things. Um, so the first one, so the three things are uh, brutal focus, uh, learning to cultivate power. And the third one is uh, relishing uncertainty. And so um, how, how I think about these are, number one, we already started to talk a little bit about this idea of brutal focus, which is, um, I think helps ward off two mistakes that often happen for people. Um, when they're trying to improve their performance or they have a goal that's really important to them, but they're feeling like it's been elusive um, or it's just really challenging. Um, so uh, the two mistakes are that often people haven't really explicitly defined their goal. And this creates a couple different challenges. One is sometimes that means that the goalpost keeps moving. And so oh. they're always burned out and maybe they're doing a bunch of great stuff and making a lot of progress, but they're not really recognizing it. They're like, that's yesterday. I'm thinking about today. Um, I call that like performance discounting. Sure. <laughs> you discount your, your past performance, even if you totally rocked it. Yeah. Um, but I think the other thing is that often, um, so they haven't explicitly defined what their goal is, which makes it really difficult to also then ask the question, okay, given that goal and like when it is and why I want it and, and what's important about it, it's really hard to figure out if you haven't done that, what's most important. Like where could you invest time and energy that would be most impactful um, to get you moving towards that? So um, the other thing is mistake that people can sometimes make, which is related to this is um, they don't have, they've defined the goal, but they don't have clear focus on what's most important for getting there. And so there's a couple different flavors. One is like, they try and do it all. And yeah. I think, I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your life. I think you've, you've been busy. So like, sometimes you burn out. You're like, I am just trying to do everything. And it's kind of spreading out, uh, my efforts and I don't feel very effective at any of it. And and I'm kind of burnt out. Yeah. Can I, so I can interrupt you on that. So, I mean, I think yeah, that's, please. that's a, that's a good point. I mean, I think that the burnout is real, right? I mean, especially for people that are, they're trying to do so much in their lives, personally, professionally, just emotionally, intellectually, whatever it may yeah. be. But I think what I have found personally is breaking things down into almost four years, right? Into one yeah. year. That makes sense. And what I mean by that is 90 day calendar, right? It is, so I focus on 90 day goals. So I'm in my, you know, July one through September goal right now. That That's the quote unquote year that I'm looking at those 90 days. And then I get energy at the end of that. I walk through different exercises where I look at my phone. I go through every picture I've taken in those last 90 days. 
and and mm-hmm. kind of and go through that with gratitude, right? And I write it down yeah. where we were at, what we did, and then more stuff that I can dive into at a whole nother podcast, I'm sure. And I've got this, you know, journal that I've created. But for me, it's that, right? And then getting the excitement around that. So would you feel mm-hmm. for you that you've seen people break it down like that or someplace differently to where it's not so much burnout for people? Oh, I think that's absolutely a great strategy for it. And different people do it in different ways, but sure. um, the solution you've come to for yourself is one wonderful way of doing this. Um, you know, I'm reminded just personally, uh, my husband and I at the holiday time are sort of gift to ourselves as we go out to dinner and we relive our year. So we both go back to our calendars. We like, and this is professional and personal, but we just go back and then sort of month by month, remember everything that was accomplished, um, you know, that was special, even that was hard, right? Because That's great. Yep. I think, um, you, you know how people, we, we have to kind of balance this idea of being in the moment, like in the moment right now, like our life is actually happening right now. And the future is, um, it's kind of imaginary, actually. We have lots of ideas about what is going to happen tomorrow. I mean, I've got a schedule for tomorrow. I assume mm-hmm. that stuff will happen. Right. But, um, and then there's the past, right? And the past is um, actually we can use the past to really help ourselves flourish and create perspective in the moment. Like what meanings we take from the past are obviously really powerful. I like these types of rituals, like what you're talking about, because I think they help us Number one, view the past uh, somewhat factually as much as possible um, so that it's not just our idea about what happened, but to actually, like if you've ever gone back and looked at your calendar for a year, it tells you like how you spent time, what did you invest in, what great stuff happened, um, what challenges did you make it through? Um, So I find that ritual to be really wonderful. And these are great ways to sort of say, how do I take myself out of something my brain is sort of trying to tell me about how I think or feel about that thing and mm-hmm. say, no, well, like, what were the facts of that? Um, and certainly part of coaching, I think, is being able to be that reflection for someone else. So I do this for my clients a lot if there's some performance discounting happening to say, hey, I just want you to remember, like, for example, when we first started working together, maybe skill or issue X was at this point. And this is sort of how you were feeling about it. How do you feel about it today? Or like, let's contrast that with where you've come at this moment and all you've accomplished. And so I think that actually is one of the important roles that I play as well, um, is to be that, that foil. Yeah. I think asking great questions too is important, right? I mean, that's sometimes you mentioned earlier is they don't really know why or how and and I always talk about when you know your why, anyhow, is possible. So, I mean, I, for me, I think it's starting there, right? starting with why are you choosing to do this? Why do you want to do this? Why do you want to do that? Right. And I think yeah. the more clarity that there is there, then the how I'm going to go do this is, is easier, right? It's easier to happen. Yeah. I can set up rituals and habits and, and stuff like that for that. Mm-hmm. So for you, either you personally or the most successful people you work with, what, what are you finding that morning routine or morning habits looks like for people to have the most productive day possible? Oh, I love this question. My answer is, it's not contrarian, but here's what I'll say. <laughs> I think that um, there, there are just a lot of articles out there about like um, 
morning routines and a morning routine can be very powerful. I think the challenge is um, when we see these things, we start to equate them with, oh, well, if I'm not like meditating and like doing a HIIT workout and, you know, journaling and this and that and that all before like 7 a.m., then I'm not going to be successful. I and, love that. Uh, yep. Yeah. So um, that's the downside. So I love the morning routine question. Um, and what I always recommend, so what I practice myself and what I re recommend to other people is that morning is a special time. It's the time our brains have just reset. Um, and you could argue that, that we are amazing in the fact that we can sleep and then like, then we enter a new today. Yeah. And so um, we definitely have sometimes some more clarity of thinking, some more freshness in that morning time. So I recommend that people use it well, but what it's going to be for each person can, can depend. So I'll tell you what, what I do and the kinds of things that people consider. Um, I think, for example, getting some daylight, like literally going outside in the morning, mm -hmm. physiologically is very good for our circadian rhythm. So that's a thing. Um, sometimes that's combined with exercise. I like to, even for just 20 minutes, make sure that I've gotten outside. Sometimes it's just a walk. Um, maybe with silence, maybe with music kind of depends, um, kind of what I'm looking for, yeah. but, um, that's one of the things that, that I like to do. Um, I also think some kind of contemplative practice can be useful. Um, it can be long or short, but for me, um, sometimes that's, um, doing like a mind map. Um, but I often find that I am trying to organize what's most important for the day is one piece that commonly comes up. Um, and another piece is setting my perspective. So <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, I don't know if you roll out of bed and have a feeling or a thought about a day, like, you know, what's on your calendar. Um, and sometimes you wake up and you might feel like, I am so excited about today. And sometimes yeah. you might think, I feel some sense. I don't know if it's worry, but I sort of, <laughs> maybe it's dread. You know, you, we get the full range. <laughs> But, um, you know, I just find it can be really helpful to set perspective. And I think some people do this, like doing a little gratitude journaling. Like sometimes people find that a useful practice. Um, but I think the last piece that I do is um, I, sp I spend a little bit of time with my husband. Like we just kind of check in with each other. Maybe we have an intellectual conversation about what the other person was thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, or we just kind of talk about what needs to happen, but, um, we just have, again, like 20 minutes, uh, just like a little bit of connection time, yeah. um, for what is the most important relationship in my life. Um, and so those are some things that I do in that morning time. And I try it for me. I've really said, I often start coaching like at 8am. So I, um, I'm not a person who necessarily wants to get up at like five to do a ton yeah. of stuff. So, um, I found, uh, that those things work well for me. And so for clients, what I always say is when they're trying to figure out, okay, well, what should be my morning routine? I definitely first say, okay, whatever that CEO is doing, you don't have to do the same thing. Yeah. What, what's going to make you successful is picking that thing for you. Um, that's going to be helpful. But then I give some thoughts around often things that are helpful is how do we take care of our brain? How do we take care of our body? 
how do we take care of our relationships? Like, um, and, um, and then maybe the last thing is, uh, I, I love to eat the frog. Okay. We get why. So this idea of like the, if you had to eat a frog today, like the best thing to do is just eat the frog in the morning because that frog is not going to look more appetizing at 4 p.m. And so for that's our listeners, that, that's a, it's a great book. It talks about eating the frog. Just get the thing yes. over, right? You can call it the shit sandwich, whatever it may be. I've heard it called yes. different things. And it's like, yeah, if you if you stew on this deal till you know what time is it right now? It's three thirty nine. So let's say like to your point, it's four o'clock almost our time here. If I was waiting all day long to do that thing and putting it off, it's terrible, right? It it, it takes energy, sucks the energy from my day, and so just get it over with. So I, I, I agree hundred percent what you're saying. So I call it focus 90. So you heard me say earlier, the 90 day goals, right? The 90 day year. Um, but I also have taken it to where it's the focus 90 is my first 90 minutes of my day. So awesome. I've spent years, like I've spent years beating myself, beating myself up for not being the guy that wants to get up at 5am and go on like, you know, a hundred mile run and work out. Know, for right? Hours, right. And I, I can't do that. And I would try it. And then I'd find after about a week, week and a half, I'm pissed off. I don't like it. I'm tired. It makes me cranky. And I wasn't that person. And so now I've had to learn to love mornings by creating things that I want to go do that moves the needle in my life, right? So I talk about F to the fifth power, your faith, your family, your fitness, your firm, which is my work and my fun. And so I create all of my stuff around those five things. If it moves the needle in one of those five Fs, we're doing it, right? And so- I've learned that in the first 90 minutes of my day, I get to create my ideal morning. And if I don't mm-hmm. want to do it, I'm not going to do it. And I have found for me, so for our listeners, it's been very, very helpful. And now, you know, I've, I do reading. I actually do the meditation reading also because I love it, right? But the working out part yeah. was tough for me. And so now I've recruited, on, we have a very active neighborhood. And so I've got, I don't know, 15, 18 guys on this text message. And, you know, so now it's my responsibility on Sundays when I do my Sunday planning, I get the workout scheduled. And so Tuesdays and Thursday mornings, 6 a.m., we have guys at my house. We come together. There, there's three goals, right? And I write this down in my journal because, again, when I know my why, anyhow is possible, the three goals are to live well into my 90s and to play golf on my 100th birthday. It's accountability. Awesome. So that's the yeah. second one, accountability. And then the third one is just brotherhood and fun. Right. I love being around these yeah. guys. And for me, it allows me when the alarm goes off, instead of being like, ah, to now I'm like, dude, I get to go hang out with a bunch of my buddies. Mm-hmm. You know? So again, I'm sorry is... for taking all that time, but I think it's important to, no. to create your morning routine around what you want to do and make it fun. I think I love that you brought up fun because again, I think I think performance can be fun. Um, yeah. I don't know that everyone views it that way. But the other thing I wanted to point out that is very brutal focus of you is when I hear what you've created around just this piece of working out, right? In the morning, you are like, you're finding ways to get a double. So often when we are setting goals, like you've got the five F's, like that's a lot of stuff in there. You know, Um, many people might pick one of the ones you have and, and be like, that would be a whole you know, whole life right there. Um, so it becomes important to see where you can get a double. And so you're getting some fun and some fellowship out of that workout. And like, you're staying fit, you know, getting what you need to take care of your body. And, um, I find this is where, when we can focus and figure out, for example, if you figure out the why, 
you, it also helps you figure out like what the what is like, okay, this is sort of the value I have, but like, what would that look like in action? If I can really explore what that value means to me, like what might that look like? And then also, are there multiple ways I can get that? Um, you know, or are there certain activities that actually might get me multiple of my values or might uh, be an expression of multiple values? And I think this is one of the things that, again, when you start to look through a brutal focus lens and say, what is most important, we can start to be creative and find ways to help people do things like, like what you are doing. Or another great example that people often will bring up is like, you know, the university in my car, car university, right? Yeah, Where yeah. If you're listening to audiobooks um, and you have a long commute, like you could get two hours of learning in every day. That's yeah. over 700 hours of learning every year. Yeah. You know, I mean, if that was your commute um, and you turn something that was kind of a negative into a positive, like a negative one to a one, and that's a huge shift. Yeah. And I think it's, and I agree hundred percent with what you're saying. And, and we keep going back to this why, but for me, it's really clicking is when I talked about living well into my nineties and playing golf on my hundredth birthday. So when the alarm goes off tomorrow morning at five forty-five, and I know there's going to be a bunch of guys in my backyard waiting on me, one, the accountability is huge because last yes. week I, it was, it was raining. I didn't want to go outside. Right. But I knew there was going to be four or five guys waiting on me. And I, I don't want Where's them in my own backyard, right? Where the hell's Brett, right? And so yes. that accountability is huge. But again, visualizing and picturing myself at a at hundred, it made that choice that day easier because I do want to have that focus of, uh, and it's more than playing golf at a hundred, right? It's being involved with my grandkids. It's, it's yeah. just feeling okay. It's doing all those stuff. So I think that's, that's really, really important. So, um, for you, when you hear the word future greater than your past, again, that's our firm's mission statement is helping people achieve a future greater than your past. How, how does that set with you and, and how does that make you feel? Oh, it, it resonates deeply with me. Uh, I mean, I have, I have this joke that it's always like, hey, how are you going up into the right? <laughs> yeah. um, and I think for me, I... I mean, one really simple answer is I don't know that I will ever retire. Um, sure. I think that, <laughs> I think that um, I've always been interested in like, hey, what's the next, what's the next thing um, that will show me something about myself that I can grow into? And that's not to say that I want that all the time. I think accurately, it probably looks a little more like, you know, you have like a steep, uh, a street trajectory, and then you kind of get sort of comfortable at that new level, right? You pull some G's and then like, you're like, whoa, okay, I am looping really fast. I'm iterating really fast, learning a new thing, going from not very good at it to, you know, um, being really skilled at it. So you get to that plateau, but the thing is, and I see this, this happens, um, for other people also. I think it's a little bit universal. Yeah. Um, you can kind of get stagnant if you stay on that plateau for too long. Um, it's okay to like regroup and recap and, and enjoy some of the new um, skills you've learned or the new position you've obtained. Um, but I also noticed that one of the things that most commonly I think comes into play, uh, maybe about this midlife period, 
Um, there's a lot of things going on. Like, for example, there's often kids, there's family, there's yeah. work. But by about like mid 40s, many people have kind of gotten to a place where um, they have been kind of successful. They've established themselves. They've established a household. They've established their work. And that is a lot of work, like going through the growing up of your 20s into the 30s, like yeah. putting your head down, doing the hard work. And you kind of arrive in a more comfortable spot than you've been in for a while. And I think there comes a moment when some people call it like midlife crisis or there's lots of names for it, but you just have this sense of like, what, like what now that I'm no longer scared to death or really worried about like doing, a, like being an adult, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, sure. Um, and, uh, and I think, uh, you know, sometimes we put a word like, what's my purpose? And I think that is one way to look at it, but I often have felt like one of the challenges with that word is it's so ambiguous and it feels like going on this journey that, <laughs> that it's, there's not a right answer to, and it often doesn't instruct us in how to go about that. And Sometimes I find that it's really helpful to ask people um, and to help people start growing again, like to get out of the stagnation and then more things become clear, right? Um, but I think we sometimes get a little stuck and it's a time when we need to grow again and um, that that helps us, reminds us things about ourselves, but it also helps us um, build new things about ourselves. Uh, I think that so, mission and purpose is tough because it does, it feels like a lot of stress and pressure, doesn't it? Like I got to go out and find yeah. my actual mission yeah. and purpose. And it's find like, it. oh my God. Where and is it? Is it find by the it. fridge? Is it, you know, yeah. There's no it? rule book for it. You can Google it. You yeah. can Google how to find your purpose and go through 900 different exercises, which I've done a lot of those. And it, 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 for me, I shouldn't say for everybody, but for me, that future grade in your past hit me like a ton of bricks and I knew exactly what I was put on earth to do. Right. But it, it just came to me. It wasn't from doing exercises, but I think it is from doing exercises, reading books, surrounding myself with good people, interviewing good people, right. Focused on those things and doing the right things to move the needle in my life. That's how it can come over and hit you like a ton of bricks. Thoughts you know, on that? I, yes. I think you're describing something really great, which is sort of how I think about like a mastery loop. So um, I w this idea of how do we like, how do we learn anything? How do we get good at anything? And, mm. and there's a couple different ways to look at it. And I love using, if it's okay to just use you as an example, mm, um, absolutely. you know, as you're talking about how did I figure out this thing, right? And we could probably put anything into that place, but for, for you, it was like mission and purpose. Like, how do you, how do you go out about and find that? But you know, you did a couple different things. Number one, you spent some time um, like just getting inputs, right? Learning. You did some, you did some reading, you talked to people. Um, and so you tried to sort of build, I call this building knowledge of the craft. Whatever it is you're trying to learn, like try and get some knowledge, build some knowledge of the craft. But you did a second thing that's really important. And we sometimes forget this part, which is where we give all that knowledge, our own thinking and spin like where we really integrate that knowledge and own it ourselves. And that's kind of the thinking time, even some of the exercises you were doing. Um, you know, it was some practicing, so deliberate practice, but it was also, um, I call it synthesizing, 
you're trying to take all this, these inputs that are coming in, you're trying to sort of help your brain build something with them, something that's your own creation, right? Not someone else's. Mm -hmm. um, I briefly brought up deliberate practice. You were doing the things, so you were doing things that you knew were in the right direction that mattered to you. Um, and so really a step of the mastery loop is then doing some deliberate practice where you're really intentionally trying to say, what am I doing? And do I need to make a change to it? If so, I make that change and then I try it again. Right. Yeah. And um, I think, I think the last stage of, of the mastery loop is really this idea of testing yourself. Um, and, and this is perhaps where the analogy may break down a little bit in your case, but um, I think that you, you really invested in some different ways that align very well with how we learn anything. Um, and so I'm, I am not surprised that you got to some clarity on it. Now, of course, it's not a direct line. It looks a lot more like yeah, you exactly. loop through it again. You slowly are kind of moving forward. It's like, um, but uh, this is actually a lot of the path that I recommend to my clients and I help them design, um, like, what does that learning pathway look like for them um, for, for whatever it is? It could be looking for their purpose, but it also could be, hey, I need to be thinking about um, whatever. We're, we're, we're looking ahead to our whatever FDA trials and bringing a product to market. And that's something I don't know a lot about. I haven't done that before. Okay. Like, Gotta go let's learn. talk about, let's talk about, but how you, what's a process you can design and then run so that you don't let that uncertainty of the not knowing it just make you paralyzed. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I, you know, it makes me think earlier too, you see these things on Instagram and like reels and different stuff of like these life hacks and, and while I get it, I understand life hacks is a way to make you be more efficient in a, in a, in a manner that you didn't know before. Right. But at the same time, it frustrates me when I hear hacks because it's like somebody's looking for that, you know, five minute abs or whatever, you know, you call it. But at the end of the day, through my experience, I'm in 21 years in this business this month of running wealth management practice in a firm and, and, and there's been nothing. I shouldn't say maybe there is. I, I have not really found too many things that I can say is a life hack other than just showing up every day and doing the work. Right. That's the hack. You should, right? name, so that, hack? You should name that. I, I, you should just call that like the Brett life hack. The Brett show life up. hack. Freaking show up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make a, I'm going to make an Instagram post about that that's that's my life hack is show that's up life do hack. the work every day it's not fun it's just it's like the, you got to do the grueling work and i'm i'm an only child i i don't i didn't understand um delayed gratification and i've had to learn that right and yeah. it's one of those things that you you can't the delayed gratification you have to learn to love over time because it, it's absolutely 100 for anything that's worthwhile is going to take time right raising a yeah. child it takes time, right? And it's, it's time in the relationship. It's time out of the relationship. And so, so anyway, last question for you here, Carla, is do you have like principles, like, you know, these principles that you would say that from science to help you or help me or help anyone else achieve uh, better or perform better, what would those be? Well, we, we talked about three of them. I guess we went in depth on brutal focus. Um, yep. The other two were cultivate power and relish uncertainty. Yep. Cultivate power, in short, is this idea that 
Um, the results we produce matter, but in areas where it is more difficult to like measure absolute performance, which is most of much of business, frankly, in sports, it's generally easier to know who won and lost, yeah. but pretty much everything else is a little more tricky. Uh, so in areas where it is more difficult to measure, we need to make sure that the network, the people around us are seeing our results and that our results matter from their perspective. Um, so there's a couple of ways this manifests. Um, I really do think about uh, and help clients think about like, who knows about what you're doing? Do we need to help you raise your visibility? Um, you know, do we need to think about network as an asset? right? Who knows what you're doing? Who knows yep. you? Um, those things matter. So, and, and I bring that up because there are a lot of people who are very high performing and very good at what they do and who think that that will be enough, but actually in the world, um, sometimes like that, that can be missed and you wonder why you, you didn't get the promotion or you didn't land the investor or, you know, yeah. whatever it is. So that's one. The part about relishing uncertainty, I think we've talked um, a little bit about this, but it's this idea of that, um, you know, to do great things, uh, as you pointed out, takes time, right? Um, but if you put in time and you are consistent, then your results will compound um, over time and can be really incredible if you have that time. Yep. That being said, that is a that is a faith play right there. I mean, when you have to be patient and keep yeah. doing the work, there's a lot of uncertainty involved in that. And so, um, but I think that is actually a lot of success stories when you hear about them. We don't usually hear about that long tail uh, before the success part, the hockey stick. Yep. But there was a long tail. And I think during that period, you really have to know how to manage that uncertainty. And I always like to say, what? Why manage it? Why not relish it? If there's some uncertainty, then you're probably doing something interesting and exciting. Like yeah. there is an opportunity there. And I can tell you that not a lot of other people are going to do it and lean in as much as you are and to be patient and to really invest as much as you are. Because as human beings, we hate uncertainty. That's right. And so um, I talk to people continually about what are the mindsets that will help them as an individual manage that uncertainty, you know, um, how to thrive in the face of it, maybe how to even have some fun with it. Because if there's uncertainty, then there is the potential that we can be surprised and delighted. Yep. Um, it's also possible that we can create a future that's even bigger than what we could imagine. Um, so I, I guess as a, um, you know, a, a final thought on this, I think often we have to go or get started moving on something long before we have certainty about it. Mm. And also we have to like do it and it's going to be messy at the beginning. We're going to be learning. We're going to be in the early stages of that, but to not judge yourself or how it's going based on the fact that you don't have certainty and it doesn't look perfect. Um, because I, I think that most great things happened because someone was willing to do that and kept going. Um, and yeah. so that's kind of my, my final thought on that relish uncertainty. Yeah. And I, I hundred percent agree. I mean, I, you know, what we do is we bring advisors into our firm and they've been in the business for 20, 30, 40 years. Right. And that, that they don't, they don't like the uncertainty. Like, are my clients going to come, right? Are they going to come over? Mm -hmm. Are they going to do this? Are they going to do that? And then every single time, you know, 36, 37 times, whatever it's been, 
They do. And everybody says, gosh, I wish I would have done this earlier. And I'm like, so I lead with all my conversations with, with potential advisors that this is the thing. And I don't use the words re- uh, releasing, relishing uncertainty, but it's exactly what it is, right? We're not going to have this clear pie that's just going to say this is exactly what's going to happen here, right? And it just, it is. And so, uh, so anyway, well, I appreciate the time today, Carla. This has been awesome having you on the circuit of success. And uh, if you are ever in the St. Louis area, you give us a buzz. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brett. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.